When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. Yeah, back again. Um, good weekend, guys. Finally, some live football again. I was in Vancouver, get to see the, the Whitecaps. And uh, I know it's live football and all, but, and I was really happy to be back on live football. But, Filippo, I don't think anything will triumph than that what you saw this weekend. I wasn't going, first of all, Filippo. Um, your pictures from Charlotte were just stunning. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful there. Uh, personally, I think to top that in the United States, it's hard. It'll happen. It'll happen with more more clubs coming up and the excitement of the sport growing. Uh, it was a different experience, right? A show was spectacular. 74,000 people, more than 74,000 people, an MLS record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a show. It was everything about it. Well organized. And I love it. We'll talk about the full experience. And if someone missed it, they can go watch the vlog if they want to visually see it. But I'm sure we're going to talk about it towards the end of this podcast as well. And I'm doing great. Awesome. Yeah, I know we'll definitely talk about it. That's one of our topics today. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear how it was um, from someone who was on the ground. Um, but yeah, also joining us today is Adrian Hadrian. How's it going, man? How, how many games did you watch this weekend? I watched a few games, none of them live. It was just attendance of one in my living room for me, but um, I still enjoyed it all the same. I don't think the atmosphere was as good or as electric as it was for Filippo, what he got to experience with all those people. But, you know, me, my cat, uh, Julia, my partner going in and out now and then, it was still a pretty good time. But again, it pales in comparison to what Filippo was experiencing. So you did not go to the Big O? I did not go to the Big O this weekend. I was unable to go to the Big O again, but... Like I said in our little group chat, my first impact match, it's still impact to me, by the way, I'll stick by that, will be against Vancouver Whitecaps, which is always very special for me being from the West Coast as well. Yeah, really looking forward to hear your impressions from that game. Um, And we're going to talk about all that in a moment's time. But before we get into it, um, I want to talk a little bit about the Champions League and the, the return games that we have um, this week. There's also some Europa League action as well. Um, or some on Wednesday, some on Thursday. And it's got got split up a little bit. Um, but yeah, let's start with let's start with it. And I mean, Bayern Salzburg. Um, guys, I did already kind of preview that game on the Game Pressing Podcast. Like, not really the game itself, but some of the issues that Bayern have. Um, in particular in the defense, and they didn't exactly look stellar against Leverkusen on the weekend either. 
Um, regardless, I am looking forward to this game. And Filippo, I think when you look at Salzburg and especially when you factor in that Brendan Aronson is still there, um, he's going to be a big, big, big name to watch in this game, isn't he? Yeah, especially because Salzburg will likely play more in transition, right? Especially now away in Germany. That's where Brandon and someone like Brandon and Karina Dayemi can be very dangerous right, for Salzburg. I'm looking forward to this game. If you look into it very much and you talk about it, this is the most important game in RB Salzburg's history. Am I right or am I wrong, Manuel, in, in terms of that? I believe 100% it's, right. Yeah, it's the biggest game in club history. Uh, and, and they're not pushovers. That's what I like about it. It's not like the whole Manchester City sporting one that we're going to talk about briefly, obviously, because that one's the ship has sailed. They have a chance, right? It's a realistic chance against the German Giants. The, something that didn't seem like it was possible. I personally thought that Bayern was going to go through with some ease. And they might still go with ease, right? Maybe they'll win 3-0. Who knows? But I, I don't think Salzburg is a pushover. And I think this game can be very interesting and see how Bayern's going to defend here. The, the defense for Bayern has been shaky. And, mm-hmm. and Salzburg can be very dangerous and take care of opportunity. They should have maybe taken care of opportunity in the first half in the first match. We could talk about that. I don't know. Um, I had Bayern going through. Right now, I have some doubts on my pick. Yeah, I, I think I said that the first leg is going to be in particularly very, very difficult. And of course, no away goals. So that Bayern away goal means nothing. It's a 0-0 draw, essentially, right? Um um, yeah. One question too. Uh, do you think Salzburg is just going to bunker and try to kill off Bayern in transition, or they'll try to actually play a little bit of that gegenpressing style they do at times? Well, they. I don't think they need to really do anything different than from the first leg, right? I think that was sort of the blueprint because mm-hmm. you do not need to chase a goal necessarily. You just need the one, um, and the one was almost enough to to get a win in the first leg. Um, I thought it was really interesting what uh, Jaisle, Matthias Jaisle, the head coach of Salzburg, said in the in the press conference today. Um, and he said the pressures on Bayern for them going through is a must because they want to win the title. For us, it's a plus. Bayern has a squad for absolute top players, so we are well prepared. Um, yeah. And so, one thing, one thing I wanted to add to that too, and not a bash on Jesse Marsh, obviously, but one note difference I noticed from the Salzburg of this season and the last season was Salzburg is very dominant in Austria, right? So they're used to being the yeah. Bayern, right? The Bayern Munich. Now they're facing a Bayern Munich that they're they're the smaller team. They're the team that needs to maybe defend more and try to be more effective on the ball. When they have the ball, be more efficient. And the Salzburg this season seems much more capable of adapting to that rather than the one with Jesse Marsh, right? Jesse mm-hmm. Marsh seemed to want to play Bayern the same way he plays Polton in Austria, Right. Uh, this team seems to adjust a little bit better to these opponents that are actually better than them and not like their league. That's just something I've noticed from the past two seasons in Salzburg. I know you follow them actually closer to me. I don't know if you got that same vibe or feeling. Yeah, but you're also like, it might not just be, first of all, Matthias Jaisler has done a fantastic job there, right? And he's one of those, the latest of these young up-and-coming German coaches. Um, And yes, he is German. Uh, He just happens to work in Austria, but... Worked at Liefering before that, right? The academy club um, that Salzburg uses sort of as a farm team in the second division and um, done fantastic work there. And he has sort of gone and taken the next step with this club 
despite the turnover of players that they have, which is, of course, always a Salzburg problem that every year they will lose their best players and they, they're going to lose some of the best players again in the summer, right, with Adeyemi. Um, even though there's some issues with the contract talks of Dortmund um, or the, the negotiations between Salzburg and Dortmund is likely going to Dortmund. And um, then, of course, our Aronson is being linked um, to numbers and with several clubs. Um, but like he still managed to kind of develop and take take the next step with them. And I think some of that is due to him and the way he's sort of, you know, looked at what the likes of Nagelsmann have done at, at other clubs. But um, also in terms of um, the the players having just improved as well, right? So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. And I think Salzburg are going to trouble Bayern Munich. Um, and it's probably maybe the game to watch because it is one... The one that has the the highest outcome um, of an upset, um, Adrian. Before we move on to the next game, is there anything you want to add to this? Not really. I actually had a question for you. I was going to take a quick aside for that Adiemi thing, but because what do you know about that? Because a couple of months ago, it seemed like it was set in stone. He's going. It's mm-hmm. it's done. Now we're hearing reports that it might potentially fall through. Do you think that this is just his camp trying to force the issue? Like, let's get this done and signed now. Or do you think that there's actually a danger of him not joining Borussia Dortmund at this point? It's hard to say um, because. Our indication was that it was pretty much done and it just came down to Salzburg and Dortmund figuring out the exact euro amount. But now all of a sudden Salzburg's demands look very different than what they were before. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting one to keep an eye on because I think pretty much when you look at Dortmund's death chart, they have pretty much already locked him down as as one of their players for next year. And um the wording is now that they're going to wait for a final decision to happen at the end of the season, uh, which I find odd. And there's always, this, you know, has a potential for something that we all think has been gone through to maybe not go through. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but um, it seems still up in the air a little bit. I do wonder, in a sense, if they're sort of waiting to see what happens at Borussia Dortmund, because if you're Adeyemi and you're looking at what's going on at Borussia Dortmund right now, it doesn't seem like a, the most settled of clubs. You know, when what's Holland going to do? What's going to happen with Marco Rosa? What's going to happen with that back line? I know Nicolas Sula is coming in, but he might be looking at it from the outside thinking, is this the right step for me to take in my career. And ultimately I think, you know, it is a step up and Borussia Dortmund is always going to be very competitive and is going to be a good breeding ground for attackers to really thrive. But maybe there is some hesitation or at least it's not as much of a sure thing as he thought in the past. And I got to say, this is all hundred percent speculation. So do not read in to what I'm saying here, but we're just sort of guessing. I think the only thing we need to add to this Adrian is that personal terms are agreed. This is on the club level. Ah, okay. So this is, this is, Dollars and cents, basically, that we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is Dortmund and Salzburg trying to find a prize. Um, and maybe Dortmund are playing hardball because they're like, look, I know it's technically illegal, but we already tapped up you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's similar to what Liverpool and Southampton happened between Virgil van Dijk. Look, they yeah. tapped him up. We've got to apologize. But yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think as far as the game goes, how do you guys see it playing out? Because right now, you got to say, if there was any time to face Bayern Munich this season, it feels like right now would be the time and that it could be 
on the table that Salzburg steals something here. But then and there's the whole... And yeah. I was going to say, and Adrian, it's the best time to face Bayern and probably the worst time to face Salzburg. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So if ever there was an opportunity for an upset, it feels like now would be the time. No, um, no, yeah. Yeah, no Neuer, issues in defense, you know, looking a little bit out of sorts against Leverkusen this weekend. So, you know, it could happen, but I think the most likely outcome still would be Bayern, you know, finding their feet and putting a few past Salzburg. Yeah, they're going to sneak a win here. Um, It's not going to be convincing, though. More question marks, I think, to follow after tomorrow, um, despite them winning. Um, question marks that I think are going to be answered the moment Manuel Neuer comes back. Uh, I think that's going to be a big problem solver for them. Um, Adrian, the next game, Liverpool against Inter. Um, do we just assume this one is wrapped up? I I mean, it's tempting to think so just because it is Liverpool and they have a 2-0 lead and they're playing at Anfield. But... They played at Anfield this past weekend against West Ham and they did not look convincing. They looked out of sorts. You know, Manuel Lanzini of West Ham had an opportunity to equalize in the 70th minute or something like that. And he absolutely made a mess of it. He could have punished Liverpool there. There was other moments where their back line looked out of sorts and West Ham who aren't necessarily, you know, they're more of a, I don't want to say a workman-like team, but I guess that's sort of the word for it. They're more physical in their attack than they are technical. Um, And they're able to sort of pick their way through Liverpool's defense at times. And so when we look back at that first leg where Inter were really holding their own for much of the match until that, you know, that goal came out of nowhere for Firmino. If, if Simone can get it right for Inter once again, and, you know, they have Robin Gosens on that left flank now who got an assist when he came on, like two minutes after he came on this past weekend. They could really cause some issues down that left flank and Liverpool's right where Trent Alexander-Arnold is. And I'd be curious to see if they sort of target that once again. And if they do, I mean, overturning a two-goal deficit is always going to be very difficult for them at Anfield, I'll repeat. But, you know, they have shown signs of improvement. Lotaro Martinez scored a hat trick this weekend. Yes, it was against Salernitana, but it's it's more about the confidence that will give him because he was looking a little bit low than it is about who he was playing against. So I would say that it's obviously, obviously, no one's going to argue that it's advantage Liverpool and it's most likely that they'll go through. But, you know, things are starting to look pretty good for Inter despite still not having Barella in that midfield. So I, I don't know that this one's all but done and dusted just yet. What do you think, Filippo? Yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about I. <laughs> I'm going with Liverpool. I, I, I understand what Adrian is saying, especially because we've seen so many crazy games in the past, including many crazy Champions League games with Liverpool, right? Crazy comebacks more than once. But I, I don't see um, Klopp's boys blowing this one. I think for starters, Liverpool's a better team than Inter Milan. That's the first thing. And then they have a 2-0 advantage. I don't think they're going to drop the ball here. I have Liverpool advancing. I think even with ease, they'll probably win this game as well. Yeah, I, I it can't add too much to that either. Um, it'd be hard to imagine Liverpool throwing that away at Anfield. They're not the choking type of team. No. If anything, they're the team that usually would come back from a 2-0. 
Um, like, yeah, exactly. Like they might go down two 0 but then they're still gonna win three two with like the last goal being yes. scored in like the ninety fifth minute or something yeah, like that. I, right? the, the only the only thing I'm worried about now is them like Inter Milan coming back and then Adrian next week just shoving that on, on our faces. It's like I told you guys. <laughs> no, but just to be clear, I do think Liverpool will go through. But just so we're not completely alienating yeah. all those Interisti in our audience, <laughs> we got we got to give them some hope, right? And I think there is some hope because. Lotaro was looking really good this weekend. I, I really like the idea, and, and Manuel will agree, of Robin Golson's down mm. the left side of that inter attack. It's he looked good, eh? He did. He did look good. And I mean the assist he caught almost immediately. So there are reasons, you know, if if Liverpool continue on from where they left off at West Ham, where their defense didn't look incredible, and inter sort of pick up from where they left off. I know football doesn't work like that, but there would be reasons to think maybe, just maybe inter could at least force extra time or something like that but i i don't see it i think that i think that liverpool will find goals and you know just scoring one is already pr- a pretty tough task for inter at that point you know Next. what you know what liverpool the problem with liverpool with me is i grew up on those 2000s liverpool teams that that would always make they would not even be the strongest and they would still make a deep run in the champions league they were known for that the one they had fernando torres i did, i think Xabi alonso was there too so I just and they're they just seem like Liverpool's built for the Champions League and they don't really choke when that comes. And also there's that AC Milan game that we could talk, we're not going to talk about that one today. Old game, but yeah, if anything, like me and Manu were saying too, I think Liverpool's if it was two zero Inter Milan, the first game, I would say Liverpool has a chance, mm-hmm. but I don't say it the other way around. That's just how I feel about this game. They're cup team. That's that's yeah. They're a cup team. That's a way to put it. Um, no, I yeah. It, it. I think of the two on that day, I think the the Bayern Salzburg game will be the more interesting, simply because it, there's more in it, right? Um, so, I think if you have to pick one of the two, unless you're like a diehard Liverpool fan, and fair enough, you're probably still gonna watch Liverpool. But still, if you have to pick one of the two. As a neutral, I think that the other one would be the one I would go for just because it's still something to play for. Um, the same can be said with the next two sets of games, Real against PSG and Man City and Sporting. Uh, Real against PSG, PSG with a one-goal lead. Um, but Mbappe, Adrian, sounds like he's might, he might miss this one. Um, I think they even did a press release that he was out injured. I, I don't know about the press release. They may have done so, but I have seen the video of, I believe it was Idrissa Ganagé that stomped on his foot in training. Um, yeah, It was one of those things where, you know, those impact injuries can go either way, right? Like it could just be some light bruising and he'll be fine, or it could be something that swells up and suddenly he's out for a week or two because of it. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there, but not having him in that match for me, I think, and I think for a lot of people is a real game changer because he was so dominant down that left flank for PSG that was where a lot of the danger was coming from and then with doubts about Hakimi as well suddenly this is sort of shifting and it's looking like maybe it's advantage Real Madrid all of a sudden and you can start to believe that they could get those two goals or sorry win by a two goal deficit at this point but you know there's always the Messi X factor there's Di Maria there's all these other guys they can pull from but certainly yeah, not having Mbappe, the the timing of that. It almost it almost feels like an inside job, doesn't it? You know, the timing of that injury in training, and it looks so deliberate in a sense. We shouldn't say that on poor Ghana, but it almost looked deliberate the way he stomped on his foot there. So it's it's an interesting one, and I think that 
it does have the potential to be sort of changing the opinions of those who thought, oh yeah, PSG has this all the way, I think. But yeah, I think, you know, with Ancelotti and Real Madrid, it, it could definitely be advantage Real Madrid, especially with the form they were in this weekend. In Madrid too. Yeah. Um, that's always a big one. You know that in the return games, they're so hard to play. Um, Filippo, but they are without Casemiro. Yeah, uh, I still... So I had Real Madrid advancing originally. Um, uh, I So I, I understand that Mbappe, Mbappe... Well, Hakimi being out and Mbappe being out would affect PSG in a negative way for sure. But also, Neymar is a big, big game player, usually, right? He steps up in crucial games and crucial moments. You People may love or hate Neymar. We've seen this in Barcelona. We've seen this in Santos and even for Brazil. With Neymar out... It could be worse for Real Madrid to have to face uh, Neymar in form. Well, I'm not saying he's in form right now, but uh, performing in form throughout the match. I, and obviously, I'm going to get hate for saying this, but I, I don't think the Mbappe injury is that much of a blow because I think Neymar would step up on that. You still have Lionel Messi. I don't think offense is somewhere that PSG would run short. They can lose a player. They can afford to lose a player and still be one of the best offenses in, in the world. I, I don't know. This game is tough, man. No Casemiro. Uh, Real Madrid definitely has the experience and the winning culture mentality, right? It's an actual winning team that knows how to win trophies. Ancelotti. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know. I, so just so I don't change my pick, I'm going to go for Real Madrid advancing for this time still. Yeah, and I think I'll stick with Real Madrid as well. The one thing, you know, it's Casemiro gone. It's Mendy suspended as well. The other one that could potentially be out is Tony Kroos. And you take Casemiro and Kroos out of that midfield, and suddenly it's a very, very different. And then you're looking at Eduardo Camavinga, who's a very good player, but still 19, still settling into the squad. And then you maybe have like a Fede Valverde or something, very physical, but just very different things that they offer in comparison to Casemiro and Kroos. So it's going to change the midfield dynamic. And to play in a big game like this, where you have to sort of change from what has treated you so well and taking you so far in the past, maybe that's that little gap that PSG needed to ensure they get the result. But hey, I'm, I'm going to stick with my original prediction of Real Madrid making it through. As will I. Um, simply because, I don't know, I've seen, I seen, I seen things work in their favor when they shouldn't. Um, too many times. To, to bet against them but it's going to be a fascinating game i think it's going to be so very tight and it's going to probably have twists and turns and maybe we'll get actually extra time in this one i mean that would be kind of fun um simply because why not have some more drama in our lives right it's not like we don't need it um but it's probably not going to have any drama adrian man city against sporting um, how much time are we going to spend on this game, boys? Uh, like as nothing, nothing really. We don't need to spend any time on this game, I don't think, because five nil. Sporting are not turning this around. I mean, Man City showed the gap in class between themselves and Manchester United this weekend. There's just, I, I mean, I'm going to look in like an idiot and saying this if they do turn it around miraculously, but it will require exactly that—a miracle. I can't see Sporting pulling this off 5-0. I mean, they'd have to win 6-0 or something like that or whatever. I, I, I just can't see it happening. Maybe you guys see it differently, but I don't think so, right? No. <laughs> no, um, there's... there's I, 
I mean, we can't say zero percent chance because, I mean, it, that that's just like impossible. Like you never say zero percent, but but it's it's as whatever the number is, as close as we can get to zero percent chance. That's what it is. Point zero zero one. We'll say oh, more. Go go further down. Keep going. <laughs> zero keep going. zero. <laughs> we might end the podcast just saying zero 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 zero. You're gonna have to keep going. Look, it's not happening. Uh, the, it, Manchester City's probably gonna win the game with ease again. Not five, but they're gonna win the game. So this is when you bring out the the gif on Twitter and say, so there is a chance. No, there's no chance. <laughs> there's no. It's more of like that that meme of the the little kid from Simpsons. I'm in danger. That's that's sporting. They're in danger of losing ten zero on aggregate more than going through. I'll say this. The odds of it finishing 10-0 on aggregate are higher than them qualifying. See, I don't think that's going to happen because he's probably going to play the kids. No, yeah, but I'm just saying that it's if I had to bet money on one, someone's like, you got to bet money on one, I'm going to say there's a higher chance of being a 10-0 aggregate than Sporting going through. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, there you have it, boys. Um, that's this week's Champions League wrapped up. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NHL team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. There will be details in the notes section of this podcast for more details about DraftKings. Um, or UEFA Champions League rather wrapped up. Philippe, that was the real one. That was the no, real Champions League. we're going to talk about the weird Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League. And um, you said this a few times already. The real test for MLS teams will come when they're playing predominantly against Liga Maxis teams, right? Um, but we're getting that this week. We're getting three MLS Liga MX matchups. Um, this is going to be very interesting. I like I, these matchups. I like them. I yeah, like them a lot. And, they're really and, well balanced too when you look at it. The good thing is New York City FC is going to play Comunicaciones, which I know they knocked out uh, the the Rapids, right, on PKs, but I don't see New York City not going through, uh, in my opinion. I, I could be very wrong right there, and I can be held accountable if I'm wrong. So New York City should advance. But yeah, the other matchups are the Sounders will face Club, Le- Club Leon, New England will face Pumas, and, and Montreal and Cruz Azul will face each other. Oh, these are good. They can honestly. I know we've talked about the dominance of Liga MX over MLS in the Concacaf Champions League in the past, but it wouldn't be crazy if two Americans slipped in right there. the The important thing to say, Manuel, is this: if one American club advances, we're probably going to have a semifinal with two MLS clubs and two Liga MX clubs because I do think New York City will advance. 
So we need at least one MLS club to advance. Now, imagine if two MLS clubs advance. Then we're going to have a semifinal with three of them. Winning the CONCACAF Champions League would become a reality. But then I've seen this before, and I I remain with my feet on the ground, and I'll just stay cautiously optimistic on it. Yeah, I think that... Um, so I saw NYCFC this weekend. Um, believe it or not, there were other games not taking place in Charlotte. Um, and I did see them this weekend. And the one thing... I have to, there's two things I have to say. A, they were really good. They were far better than the Whitecaps. Um, when they go forward, they look extremely well put together. Um, Talis Magno on the left and Thiago Andrade on the right and then Tati Castellanos. Um, it was it was a pleasure seeing him play. Even though he sometimes loses his temper a little bit, I feel that you know he's a very, very good player. And I think with him in the lineup, um, New York City FC have a chance to win win this title because he is a very, very good center forward. But for some odd reason, they're just not um, scoring goals right now, even though they should have had two or three. So maybe it's going to happen in this particular game. You know, it's a, it's the famous ketchup bottle, right? You always like knock on the bottom of the ketchup bottle, nothing comes out, and then it's all of all at once, all of a sudden. And then maybe it happens against the uh, Comunicaciones. Um, we'll see. Um, so for me, they're going through. Uh, Cruz is all against Montreal. Uh, I mean, Adrian, Montreal love this competition. They always have. There's a tradition of Montreal doing well in this competition. Yeah, and, and you know how you were saying Liverpool earlier were a cup team. I sometimes get the feeling that Montreal is sort of a cup team in some respects, not to that degree because they don't win as often as Liverpool, of course, but you know, in the Canadian championship, even when they're having a poor season, they tend to do okay in that as well. Uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League, as I think I've talked about quite a few times, that 2015 run was quite remarkable, quite amazing to witness live. Um, and actually just last week was the seven year anniversary of that Porter late, late, late goal against Pachuca to put them through. Um, so yeah, yeah, there seems to be a bit of uh, a bit of stardust associated with Montreal in this competition. And, you know, look, we saw them lose again this weekend against Philadelphia. Very unfortunate that Mikhailovic had that goal disallowed. That would have put it at 2-0. Maybe we'd be talking about something else. But as far as Cruz Azul goes, you know, I, I can't speak to the second leg against Forge, but I can speak to the first leg. Maybe, Manuel, you can speak about the second leg, what happened in that one. But in the first leg, Cruz Azul looked very beatable. And they only got that victory because of a mistake from Henry and goal. So I feel like Montreal, from what I've seen this season, yes, I know two losses from two in MLS. But they're playing fairly well other than that. And with what we saw against Santos Laguna... I think that they could definitely, at the very least, push it right to the wire against Cruz Azul. But Manuel, or even Filippo, if you saw that second leg against Hamilton, what do you think of this matchup and from what you've seen of Montreal? So I I didn't watch the second game with Forge FC, but the fact that they were able to go toe-to-toe, well, not toe-to-toe, it was 3-1, right, Cruz Azul in Mexico, but the first game was 1-0 one one only. Uh, Montreal is a better team than Forge, right? So if Montreal can find a way to get the job done at home, the first game is in Mexico, right? That's the thing. They need to get a draw on Wednesday, at least. They just have to not lose in Mexico. At home, they can definitely pull off a Although win. they did turn around uh, the defeat to Santos Laguna. They did. They did turn around. But uh, this is a better team, right? Santos Laguna was in last place in Liga MX. Right. Uh, so but Mexican that... teams just don't seem to like to play in Canada. 
True, true. Mexico doesn't like to play. In Canada. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I mean, all the Mexican uh, teams. <laughs> I, I think Montreal has to aim on Wednesday for a draw. If they get a draw at, at Mexico against Cruz Azul, I, I think them go- advancing is very realistic. Very realistic. The Especially team a score draw. If they the get team that I'm worried goal. the most. I think the team I'm worried the most here. I actually don't think the Sounders will go through. Bad start to the season. Yeah, they're not looking good. Uh, New England, they have experience right there. I, you never know New England and Pumas, but the Sounders are the American team that I'm more inclined to saying they might get knocked out here. They did rest some players over the weekend against RSL, right? So they lost, but they were resting some guy. But well, they lost to us. Well, they they kind of rested. <laughs> they rested a lot of their guys, to be honest, right? Rodano's on the bench. Plays for RSL and they lost to them. Yeah, so. We'll see with that, but that's the one team that I, I'm a little bit more shaky about. It's um, the Seattle Sounders. I think all other three have very good chances of advancing. It's just going to be how they battle it out, right? Mm. Um, the the problem with the Sounders is that every year they start slow. Yes, and that's when the CONCACAF Champions League is going on. Yeah, exactly. So this is why they never really have a deep run in this competition, right? Because they Schmetzer's, Schmetzer and uh, Sigi Schmidt before him, there has a tradition of them starting slow and they heat up exactly at the right moment, which is usually around the MLS Cup playoffs, right? Which is why they always go so deep in that competition. But they start slow every single year, which is interesting. So maybe, I mean, on paper, they're probably MLS's best bet to win this. On paper. Football's not played on paper, but you know, on paper they are. So, do you think do you think this is the Concaf Champions League we're going to take home, MLS? Well, there's a good chance because NYCFC will go through, um, and I do think I don't know. I think Montreal will go through because Montreal loved this competition, and I think one of the other two MLS teams will go through too. I'm gonna I'm gonna just wait wait and see. I think if I, I agree with you that New York City FC will advance. They they have to against Comunicaciones. I think knocking out the Rapids was enough. Yeah. If two American teams, not American, MLS teams, right? Because Montreal's Canadian team. If two MLS teams can advance out of the three matchups with Liga MXC teams, I'll believe that we can actually win this one. Otherwise, if it's two against two, I don't think we're going to win it. Here's a question, though, for all of us. If it's Montreal, they'll win it. Is this a win for MLS or what is it? Because they don't it's qualify. MLS. Yeah, no, they don't qualify via it's, MLS. Uh-uh. It's not a win for MLS because MLS ignores Montreal completely all the time. They'd wish that they Come didn't on. exist. You're, the it's money not a win from MLS. Yeah, what, but they advanced by winning the MLS. Canadian it, Championship. Even Canada ignores Montreal. Well, actually, Canada ignores anything but Toronto. Look, <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, look, look, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. When when something like this happens, the one that yells the loudest and claims credit is the one that's going to get it. And MLS can be very loud and, and they're pretty yeah, good at marketing. So they're going to say they won. They're going to... 100% right. Yes. Yeah, it's true. All of a sudden, it's going to be like tons of Montreal coverage for one month and then just forgotten about again. Just Oh, yeah, yeah. And gone. They're going to they're gonna also probably pressure Greg Berhalter to call up Mihailovic. And I was like, now you got to call him, dude. Yeah. I know his XGs are not great. He's more of like a, an assist guy. but and, and, and he scores. 
instead of just getting XGs, but you're going to have to to get him in there. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was the Mihailovic uh, backpack, uh, Montreal backpack that uh, won it, basically. <laughs> um, I have to say, I'm just trying to look this up. The we're, we're going to speak about attendances in a moment, right? Yes, there's a lot and to talk about here. Montreal in the Concacaf Champions League had um have have their record is sixty one thousand for the, the the second leg final against uh America. And they actually also got sixty one thousand for the MLS Cup uh playoffs in twenty sixteen uh, against Toronto. Yep. Um and in 2008-2009 at that famous game against Santos Laguna, and I think this was before they were actually in MLS. It is, yeah. They had 55,000 at the Big O. Yeah, man. People turn out at the Big O. That atmosphere at the Big O is is something else. Like I was there for the 2016 playoffs, and that was crazy. But in that final against Club America in the second leg when they lost, Romero scored a fantastic goal. And the noise from that goal, I remember, I think it was Kick TV was there, and they were actually doing like audio, like decibel level checks. And the noise in the stadium was so loud that it would be considered unsafe for construction workers like they would have to wear hearing protection that's how loud it was so the the atmosphere at the big o gets a little bit crazy and i think that that's sort of the secret sauce um is that it's a horrible horrible pitch and the technical teams have a bit of trouble on it and also the atmosphere is just crazy and there's the threat of the roof falling in as well so that's also yeah, terrifying so it, it is it's so funny that we always talk about Concacaf being so challenging because of like mls teams having to go to uh, I don't know, some dark infested pitch somewhere in Latin America with like 35 degrees heat. And then there's like some insect plaque in the middle of the game that like hits all the players and like the fans throwing urine on the field and so on. When the actual real most dangerous stadium in the world to play in, in CONCACAF, is the big O in Montreal. Because as you said, it's actually not constructionally safe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The root, there is a threat that the roof could fall in. So, yeah, also, like, that field is an automatic ankle roller. Like, let's be yeah. honest here. How much <laughs> does the Canadian rude culture play into that? You guys are just trying to be mean to people. It's, it's like, it's actually really funny you mentioned that, Filippo, because like Canadians, like Canadian teams were like, oh, it's so bad to play like in places like Honduras and Mexico and like El Salvador. And then we like subjugate these poor people when they come up here to conditions that are just not safe. Well, it's kind of like the U.S. did to Honduras, right? They, like, try to freeze them to death. It was like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we did the same. Like, or, like you you tried to freeze them to death in a structurally sound stadium. We we froze them to death at a stadium that is, like, not safe to play in. Like, that field in Edmonton, Adrian. Like that, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a stadium that if, um, if a high school team wanted to play, it would be illegal. Like, they wouldn't yeah. let them play. Exactly, but because it's our national team and we want to conquer cuff them, fine, no problem. But Adrian, that stadium, like that pitch in uh, in Montreal, like it, 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 I could probably lay down a better carpet in my room. Oh yeah, you absolutely could. <laughs> and, and there's a reason why. Like, and someone could tell me, I, I could correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of players, like the older players, like Thierry Henry, Didier Drogba, although I think Drogba did end up playing on it once, but a lot of the mm. older players don't even want to play on it 
and other turf pitches as well. But this is one of the worst ones because the risk of either an ankle or a knee injury is so high because it's just that brutal. It's basically just turf laid out on cement, it feels like. So I can see why teams don't want to play on it. And I guess, you know, we use that to our advantage and it's, it seems to work in some ways. It's so funny, too, because like we actually have a pretty big stadium problem in this country. And one day we'll have to actually talk about it because even our nicest stadium, um, other than BMO Field, which I actually think is probably the nicest stadium for soccer in this country, but it's just a little bit too small for actual uh, World Cup uh, games, right? Uh, in Toronto, BMO Field, of course. And Vancouver um, for MLS games is just atrocious because we have two roofs. We put one roof in and then we have a roof on top of that. So like we had a gorgeous day on Saturday and like any other any other place in the in the world would be playing outside in the in the glorious sunshine and 15 degrees uh, Celsius and it would be super nice but because Vancouver has like this terrible roofing condition and they only have the lower bowl open it just feels like you're in an inside arena it's just so dark and heavy Adrian so yeah one day we need to talk about stadium issues in this country but I actually think because our stadiums are so crap and it actually benefits the way we play, there's no actual motivation of fixing stadiums. Yeah, I think that we need to stop talking about the field conditions down down in Central America, like, like you were saying, because oh. we either play on a frozen turf pitch or a, a, a carpet that you said you could roll out a better one in your living room than, you know, in Montreal or... Yeah, we, we don't necessarily have the right to speak about great pitch conditions unless... It's in the summer or the spring, and they can play at BMO Field or Stad Saputo yeah. or something like that. BMO Field, and it pains me to say this, is the only nice soccer stadium we have in this country. Oh, Saputo Field, sorry, Adrian, is actually kind of nice too, but Saputo's nice. It's small. just, it's, it's yeah, it's a little small. I think the capacity is, I'm wrong about this again, but I think it's somewhere around 24,000 or something like that. Yeah. And actually, the, the stadium here in Victoria is really nice too. It's just also very small, right? But we have no nice, big stadium for MLS, except for BC Place when it's full capacity, because then you can actually see the roof. Um, or the old roof is open, rather. But like, yeah, that's a huge issue. Um, you know who doesn't have an issue when it comes to great venues, Filippo, is Charlotte. I mean, I'm so jealous. <laughs> it seems like you and half the journalists on this planet were invited to this game to see it. Um, it looked like a blast. How was it? It was lots of fun. And I was probably the worst journalist. Well, I'm not even a journalist, to be fair. So, I, and I was in this place with many journalists, right? We got a press pass. And then me and a friend of mine, uh, his name is Loon. Uh, actually, he's the assistant to the tactical manager now. And we went there. We were just recording stuff with our phones. The phone died. And then we had to find a charger. It was just, you know, very unprofessional the way we were. But I can assure you one thing. No one in that press box had as much fun as we did. It was awesome. I went to the supporter section, went to the field. I finally met Julian Araujo in person, right? We've talked to each other in social media a few times. I've had him in the channel. And then I was walking down the tunnel and I accidentally like ran into him during the warm up. Uh, everything was amazing. And just the whole show that it was, the game, the atmosphere, 74,000 people. Uh, in Charlotte, uh, embracing the team, then leaving and everyone leaving the game, getting the experience too to be in a press conference uh, with Miguel Angel Ramirez, the coach of Charlotte FC, a coach that I looked up to, not looked up to, but I admired when he was doing his work at Independiente del Valle, uh, I think four or five years ago, whenever that was. 
But it was an awesome experience, man. Um, I'm blessed that I was able to go there. And Charlotte's a wonderful city, too, by the way. Highly recommend anyone listening to this. If you can visit Charlotte, go ahead. I know it's not a tourist place, right? It's not like Miami, Orlando, New York City. But it's a very nice city. I I had lots of fun there. And I hope to be back. And hopefully all three of us and Josh, even though Josh is not here, we can eventually all attend an MLS game together. And hopefully a, a big MLS game. I know we talked about here before. The Insigne one, maybe Hector Ejeda when he arrives in the Dynamo, maybe a Portland Sounders. I think it'll be fun. It's a it's a nice experience. It's a lot different from attending a game in Brazil. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that. I can talk about the differences of my experiences. I've been to games in Maracanã with 60,000, 70,000, 80,000. There was even a time where there was 90,000 people at Maracanã pre-World Cup, right? Before they redid the stadium. It's a different experience here in the U.S., uh, I, I don't know how, what to say which one is better. There's pros and cons to both, but we can talk about that too. And I'm sure uh, Emmanuel has been to that. Well, both of you have been to many games in Europe as well. Yeah, no, certainly. I think we talked a little bit about that off air, didn't we, guys? That yeah. um, there's always seems to be there seems to be almost an open season about making fun about anything that's MLS in some ways. Yes. Let's just dump on it because it's MLS and they can't do right. And there is problems with the league and we we, we address them. And I, but there's also things that this league does quite well. And we actually looked through some of the numbers um, and we're comparing it to at a time like last year's attendance was about 17,000 on average. Um, and when you compare that to, let's say, the, the English Championship, for example, that's higher than the English Championship. It's higher than the Netherlands it's higher than Portugal. Um, it's higher than most leagues other than, you know, I think the only two leagues that consistently sell out all their games and the big stadiums is Germany and England. Even Spain and um, Italy, they're having issues. Um, getting people into stadiums is not a problem in this league, right, Filippo? Yeah, I wanted to address that too because people love to call me anti-MLS, hater of MLS because I criticize MLS quite a bit. Now, yes, I never... I never sugar sugarcoat anything in regards to MLS. Every time I see something I want to criticize, you know I do. Manuel actually knows better than most people here because we talk about it a few times. The putting 75,000 people in a stadium is not easy. That's what people need to understand. And then I saw some stupid examples on Twitter of people saying that we did this in the 70s. We The near cosmos got over 70 people a few times. Well, for starters, different times, right? Different times. We're in an era that it's a little bit harder of getting people out of their homes. There's more stuff to do at home. Two, that was like Pele's farewell tour. Pele, right? At the time, he was far more popular than any soccer player is currently at that time. Pele. People forget how big his name was in soccer. Ronald mm -hmm. Reagan talked about Pele once, the United States president in the 80s. He even talked about how I, this I, I'm Ronald Reagan, the president of the United States, but you, I don't need to introduce who you are. So I think people don't understand. Now, Charlie and Galaxy didn't have any Pele right there. Didn't have any Messi, Maradona, Cruyff, Ronaldo, nothing. It was just people from the city embraced it and came. And there were 74 point something, whatever, a thousand people. It's not easy. Also, being from Brazil... Uh, I can tell you guys and everyone that not every game is packed. Even Flamengo, 
that packs most of their games. There's games where they put only 20,000 people, 30,000. Mid-table teams in Brazil, they'll have attendance of 1,000 people sometimes. Even teams like Botafogo, which is a legendary team in Brazil, you'll see them putting 2,000 people sometimes. They have uh, probably their average attendance is 5,000. So MLS has a lot of issues to talk about, many issues. Attendance is not one of them. Attendance is fine. And people love to use the New England Revolution example, how they couldn't pack the states. Like, you can't pack every stadium. It, it's yeah, not how it That's works. an awful stadium for soccer. Yeah, it, it, I think they, they, they need to understand that it's not about... The attendance in MLS is fine. There's several other issues we can talk about. I think they do a great job in that in that sense of packing the stadium. Sure, like New England, if they're struggling to get more people in, maybe uh, give out free tickets to schools. to Or get build kids. a stadium that's specific for the sport. That, that would help too, club. but... Get you know, maybe like, college like, kids involved. You know, like, this is this is like this is an interesting one. Like, but New England needed stadium in downtown Boston. Like, this is where the club needs to be. Like, soccer, yes. is, is soccer is a downtown sport. Yes. Well, it's a it's a requirement to get the franchise in MLS. Yeah. So yeah. that's why that's why Orlando City originally used Camping World until they made Exploria Stadium. Inter Miami has their stadium. It's always Inter Miami struggled to get a stadium down to. That's why New York City FC uses the Yankee Stadium, right? They have to build yeah. a stadium near New York City. And anyone that's been to New York City, you probably look around like, where the heck do I even build a stadium here? Because <laughs> in North America, well, actually anywhere in the world, really, it's an inner city sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if yeah, true. the 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 problem is like inner city or, or downtown. This area is usually richer, so mm -hmm. it's usually where the 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 headquarter of the club will be located for many reasons. At least in Brazil, it's like that. Uh, the stadium itself does not necessarily. They're not usually downtown all the time in South America, at least. Uh, yeah, I, I know. For example, like in Munich. Um, Bayern Munich, they could probably put the stadium anywhere in Bavaria and it would sell out. But like my club, 1860, is a downtown club. And when they played the, the Allianz Arena, it was a huge issue for them. And now that now they're actually playing in like a downtown arena again. And I know that for the Whitecaps, they get a guaranteed 18 to 22,000 every game, even if they're terrible, because the stadium is downtown. And there's bars and restaurants and all that sort of stuff around it. So like... It's an easy afternoon, right? If you're already downtown, you go to the game, you have a few drinks before, and then it doesn't really matter if you're good or not because you're still going to go. Yeah, Manu, it's, it's very... I don't know about how it is in Europe, but in the United States, you, if you go to any uh, sporting team, sporting event, right? Talk about NBA, for example. Mm. You go down to Miami, uh, the... the oh, Crap, what's the name again? Uh, is it American Airlines Arena? I don't want to get the name wrong. Uh, down in Miami, whatever... Uh, it's you go out like after the game, you're right next to Winwood, so you can go out to bars. Uh, you're next to Bayside, so it, it's it's the it's the culture there. You go to the game, you enjoy it, it's over. You go out with your friends, go to the bars, and and that requires it being in an overpopulated area downtown where there's a lot of yeah. stuff going on. And yeah, that that's one of the things. But but again, just so I don't go back off topic. MLS doesn't have an attendance problem. And people that kept complaining about that, it's like you said, sometimes they just want to pick in the league to pick in the league. 
Mm. Uh, if we want to talk about problems in MLS, there's many that we can talk about. The same mm. ones that I've always talked about. Stadiums in, in Canada, Adrian. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the stadiums in Canada that try to kill people that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, um, yeah, it's an, interest, it's an interesting one because like when you look at Seattle and how well they do with the average attendance, Portland is incredible. Um, I think it's, it's on this, we're going to probably do a show um doing a trip to portland at some point this year because it's just an it, it's an incredible day out and um a lot of the a lot of the stadiums in mls are actually really worth visiting and actually going to a game to and experiencing the atmosphere for because for the most part the league does a good job uh, in that regard and um charlotte looked absolutely incredible are they going to get this on a consistent basis probably not but at the same time atlanta united broke over 70,000 on a very regular basis. And there is, there is, you know, they have an average attendance of over 50,000. And those are good numbers. Also, Charlotte's not going to rent the full stadium, I believe, from what they were saying there. So they're, they're, obviously their attendance is going to go down if you don't even have that option. But again, I think it's the same than Seattle and Atlanta do, right? It's flexible depending on the opponent and the type of game that, like, true which size they, they go for. They're also still building the team, right? They're, they still yeah. need to sign DPs, get it adjusted to what Miguel Angel Ramirez wants to play. So they, they lost the first two games. So, yeah, like any sport, any team in the world, the fans could lose some of the hype for now. Over the long term, it should be fine. But, but again, the teams that put 70,000-plus a game in the world are like the biggest teams in the world, right? We're not there yet with MLS, and I don't know if we're ever going to be there, but but I, we can't compare average attendances to MLS to a Manchester United. It's just complete nonsense at this point. So, yeah, as I said, that's not the issue with MLS. I think it was a major, massive win for MLS and for U.S. soccer in general, uh, even though I wish MLS had promotion relegation, as I've always said. And I think that the academy system is very flawed, the rules and regulations that it has. The salary cap has to go up. There's a lot of problems to address there. Attendance, MLS does a great job. It actually does a better job than probably every South American club, besides maybe Flamengo and Palmeiras in Brazil. Yeah, I think so too. Anyways, uh, I loved I love the picks and everything from from Charlotte. I was really curious how they how they the rest of the season is going to go for them. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting topic further down the road as well. Before we wrap it up, boys, um, Adrian, Filippos, anything else you guys want to address before we move on and call it a day? I'll let Adrian talk now if Adrian wants to. To let let Adrian close the episode. Let Adrian. <laughs> I mean, there's not much that I really want to talk about. Otherwise, I think, you know, just sort of sending our thoughts to the people that had to witness what happened and be a part of what happened in Queretaro and Liga MX. I mean, that was just horrific viewing. Um, So, yeah, it's a lot of questions to be asked of stadium security, of the police. We're getting conflicting reports about what happened there. I don't know what else you guys have heard from there, if there's going to be any repercussions, but it seems like there won't really be, at least from FIFA, but, you know, we're hearing about the rest of the league not really wanting to associate with Keritaro. So regardless of what happens in that situation, just our thoughts with the people that had to live through that, had to witness that, who may have lost anyone or had anyone injured at that, because that was just, it, there's no place for that. And to see it, the violence at that kind of scale was just sort of otherworldly, wasn't it? Like it, it looked like 
suddenly a war was breaking out in Mexico now. In it was, stands. it was, it was, it was something barbaric, right? It was, it was even harder to like look at it. I, I stopped watching those videos at one point. It was just barbaric. How, how can you, as a human being, beat someone up to death, right? To death. Like just John Arnold up. wrote something really good about it. Did you guys see it? I want to give, no. give him a shout out. John Arnold. Um, I think that's his Twitter account is John Arnold as well. Um, he's an ex he's an excellent writer, first of all. It's Arnold Arnold Comma, so Arnold C O M M A John. So at Arnold C O M M A John on Twitter. Um, and he wrote an excellent piece on what happened. Um, there and why it is a reflection of Mexican society in general. Um, I retweeted it as well um, in case you you can't find his Twitter account. It's really good. Um, so just and- just one thing to say too. It's uh, so we don't point the finger at like Mexico. This is a problem in South America as well, right? I know right. that we're gonna say, but thirty apparently I alleged. I don't know how many people died at, at the event at Liga Mexi there. Um, there's like different reports, right? Conflicting reports, but there was also a fan that died in Brazil this weekend, right? From a fan fight. And this is actually much more common than we think, which is super unfortunate. You know, no one, for starters, no one should even get hurt as a fan in a soccer game. It's a sport. It's a- it's just, if anything, an athlete will get hurt because he's playing. Yeah. That's about it. Nonetheless to say, you think that you can go to a soccer game and your life could be at risk, right? It's, it's just something very uncomfortable. And it has to be, it has to change, right? We know England had problems with that with the hooligans in the past. It has to end, right? That That's not what the sport is about. That's not what actually life is about in general. So this just, just has to end. Yeah, 100%. And uh, with that, yeah, uh, thoughts and prayers with the people in, in Mexico that were affected. And then, of course, also our thoughts and prayers continue to go to uh, people in Ukraine who were suffering in the hands of Russian aggression. Um, yeah, boys, with that in mind, we'll be back probably by the end of the week with another episode. Until then, cheers and bye-bye. Perfect.